This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. All right. Good morning, Podcast Movement. How is everybody doing? Yes, there we go. I like that energy. Uh, well, welcome to uh, this morning's session. Um, I'm sure you're all looking forward to uh, a really exciting week. I know we're starting things off pretty early this morning. Uh, I am curious, though, how many first-timers do we have for, uh, for podcast movement? Wow, quite a few. So my, uh, my follow-up is how many have been to every single podcast movement? Anybody? Not a one. Okay. <laughs> Um, well, welcome to this morning's session. My name is John. I am the, uh, the COO and a producer at Resonate Recordings, and we are the sponsors for the uh, Society, Culture, and Advocacy track uh, this year. Uh, and we have a really exciting conversation lined up for you all today. Uh, represented here are some, uh, very ex- uh, some very talented and passionate uh, podcasters, uh, some leaders in the industry who are committed uh, to making a difference in the content that, that we create. Uh, so in a few minutes, I'll let each of the panelists do a more thorough introduction uh, of themselves. Uh, but just very quickly, uh, we've got uh, Jamie Albright, uh, a producer at Tenderfoot TV, uh, which is the team that has created Up and Vanished, uh, the Monster series, and To Live and Die in LA, among many others. Uh, we've got uh, Brittany Bigelow, uh, the head of production at Audio Chuck, uh, the team that has created Crime Junkie, Anatomy of Murder, and many others. Uh, and then we've got uh, Delia D'Ambra, an investigative journalist and the producer and host of the Audio Chuck shows uh, Counterclock and Park Predators. Uh, and again, my name is John with Resonate Recordings, the team uh, that developed and created Culpable. Uh, and I was also a writer and producer on the Audible original podcast, When a Good Man Kills, and I also host uh, Turned Podcaster. So. I don't know if you've noticed a theme, uh, but out the gate, I do want to say that a lot of our experience uh, will be coming from the genre of true crime. Uh, but the ideas that we're going to be sharing and the things that we'll be talking about today are, are overarching. Uh, they touch on every genre because the things that we're going to be talking about and the principles that we're going to be sharing are really intrinsic uh, to podcasting as a whole. So. I'm sure there are probably some true crime fans uh, tuning in and here in the audience this morning, uh, but if you're not, I hope you'll stick around. Hopefully this isn't your, uh, your cue to, to leave quickly, uh, because we do have some very valuable ideas that we want to share and talk about uh, this morning. So with that, I do want to kick it over to the panelists uh, to have them introduce themselves. Uh, and so panelists, uh, intro yourselves and talk a little bit more about your background uh, and also what you do day to day. So Delia. Hi, everybody. I'm Delia D'Ambra. So, like John said, um, I'm a producer and a host for Audio Chuck Shows, Counterclock, and Park Predators. Um, and I come from a background of broadcast news. So, I worked in broadcast television news as an investigative reporter and a general assignment crime beat reporter for about six years until I made the transition full-time to podcasting. And so, I am an investigative journalist by trade um, and have worked on uh, many, many uh, cases in uh, true crime and It's really just my passion now, so yeah, that's why I'm here. Hi, everyone. I'm Brittany Bigelow. I'm head of production for AudioChuck. Basically, my day-to-day is overseeing the creative and the technical, so overseeing the development and production of all of the shows across the network, and then obviously the maintenance that comes along with it. 
My background actually is in live theater and television and film. I worked as a dancer for a lot of years in New York, um, kind of fell into podcasting as many of us do, um, and now live in Indianapolis working at AudioCheck. Hello, everyone. My name is Jamie Albright. I'm a producer at Tenderfoot TV in Atlanta. Um, my background is a little bit different. I have my master's of social work, and I'm a trained victim advocate and forensic interviewer. So I interview children who are victims of um, physical abuse, sexual abuse, or trafficking. Um, six years ago, my brother started Tenderfoot TV, and I was happy to come on board um, three years ago. So yeah, I produce different shows and love working in podcast world. Uh, so I'm curious uh, if each of you would also share how you got into podcasting uh, and then also why you chose podcasting as a profession. Yeah, so I got into podcasting um, back at the beginning of 2018. I started looking into an unsolved cold case in my hometown um, in North Carolina, and that transformed into Counterclock, which is the show um, that has multiple seasons now. So yeah, that's kind of uh, you know my transition into it, and I'm glad that I did. <laughs> Yeah, kind of like I touched on a little bit, I was ready to hang up my tap shoes. I had pr been producing different types of things for a lot of years, but it was all just random or different capacities. And actually, was really craving something new, and there was this podcasting thing happening. And I was like, oh, I'll sit down, I'll talk you know, with women in the industry. And so I did my own little thing, and it brought me so much fulfillment right in time for the whole world to shut down, where having conversations and recording them was actually the best way to do them. Um, and so I started working full-time in podcasting then, not sure if it was going to be my forever home. And it's so cheesy, but it is that like, oh, it kind of picked me. I, podcasting found me, and now I can't get enough of it. So that's how I found my way. Yes, and I love to tell people that I listened to podcasts before my brother did. So um, I was a true crime fan way back. I mean, I was a stay-at-home mom, and I was obsessed with true crime. So um, three years ago when my brother said to me, well, actually before that, with as early as Atlanta Monster, I was doing victim profiles and um, things like that to help them kind of with the back end kind of and the research on the story. And so a few years ago when he came to me and he's like, okay, are you ready to like come on full time? I was super excited and I was able to look at how my forensic interview background kind of plays into what we do in podcasting. And like they said, I just love it. So... Uh, so we are here at Podcast Movement, which is a conference dedicated to podcasts, obviously. Um, so I do want to start with a, a bit of a softball question uh, and, and get you all to weigh in. Um, you know, why, why are podcasts such uh, an effective and a powerful medium? I think a lot of people identify, well, one, they have a lot of access to them, right? So coming from a world of TV and print journalism, I mean, that's you know, a product that has to be in front of someone's eyes, has to be in their hand. Um, you know, podcasting, they can take anywhere with them. So I think um, that's a part of it. But I also think, too, people really identify with uh, the host of a show. They identify with the journey. Obviously, in my experience, being in true crime and investigations, people feeling like they're with you on that journey. Um, I think... It, they just want to come back to that, and they and they want to to consume that content, and so I think that's that's part of it. At least that's from my experience. Yeah, I think you know, having been in a world where it was big productions, a lot of costumes, a lot of hair and makeup, and now being in something that is so can be so raw and so accessible for everybody, I think that a lot of people 
can access it whenever they need doing the things that we do on the regular. And also there's not a lot of time for filler. We get right into the point, right? It's like every minute counts. Um, and so I would have to imagine that as people are sitting and listening to it, they're absorbing it as quickly um, as possible. And then typically doing something as they're, they're accomplishing multiple things at once. So the accessibility most certainly, in my opinion, is a huge component. Yeah, I also think that podcasts bring people together, right? When I'm listening to a podcast and I'm on this journey with the person there, they're trying to find out what happened to their loved one, I'm with them on this journey, and I'm not with them thinking, oh, you know, I wonder who they voted for. I'm just like with them is as a human being, as a mother on this journey, and I want to know what's going to happen. At the end of that, if there's something that I can do to make a difference and I can, you know, sign a petition or things like that, I really think that's a big part of what draws people in. And I also was thinking about this question, you know, there's another big point. There's not someone who's a gatekeeper to your story in podcasting. Anyone can tell their story, and I think that just makes people really relate to the host and to the show. Yeah, those are all really good points. Um, so Delia, my, my question uh, for you specifically is coming from the perspective of an investigative, uh, investigative journalist, what, um, what does podcast provide? How is it different than some other broadcast mediums? I think time is really a big thing. So uh, the industry of broadcast bro broadcasting, whether that's radio or even you know print magazines, like you're bound by the white space. You're bound by the the minute you know story that you have time that you have to tell the story. Um, in podcasting, what I found is that the story can breathe. The interviewees can tell their story through the medium, um, which again only strengthens that bond between the listener and the product. Um, and then I think it also too you know traditionally the the broadcast industry industry um, takes a lot of criticism for a lot of, you know, um, not saying the full context or delivering the full story, and sometimes rightfully so. I think in podcasting, whether it's true crime or, you know, lifestyle and fitness or whatever, you're allowing more content to get to the listener um, and delivering it in the right way um, is just is something that I think is really strong in podcasting and, and sometimes can be can be a fault in, in, in the broadcast industry or, or whatever. So I think there's definitely that element of time and, and letting the story speak for itself. Yeah, and Jamie, uh, you brought up a good point, uh, just kind of like the, the individual aspect of, of podcasts in that when you listen to a podcast, typically you're by yourself uh, on your way to work, uh, you're you know, doing a workout or on a run or something. Uh, but they're also really unique because they can drive a real sense of connectedness and togetherness, uh, you know, bring, bring a sense of movement in a way that a uh, few other things really can. So what is it about podcasts that drives this idea of connectedness and togetherness uh, and rallying behind some kind of a big uh, idea? Um, I, I think it is just that we're, it's a human story. If you look at um, podcasting, anyone that is up there telling their story is just like you or me. And if they're not just like you or me and they're completely different, it gives us an eye into their experience. I think that promotes empathy and just drives people together. Any additional thoughts? Brittany, I think you're totally right. There's that human quality of every story you're hearing, whether the person is like you or not like you, this ability to empathize and listen to them. And I think that podcasting also promotes listening, which I'm not sure is 
something that we do as much of anymore. We think about what we're going to say as someone's talking to us or so on and so forth. And so when you're listening to the story, you have to absorb it in some capacity and you're only getting even, let's say, 1% of the whole thing, right? Just the way our brains work. And so I think it gives this really beautiful opportunity to listen, leading to empathy, and then in some cases leading to action and impact and all the things we're hopefully in it to do. I think in the true crime space in particular, um, there's something really valuable about listening to the real voices of the people that are in the story. So whether that be, you know, something, you know, especially like on wrongful, wrongful conviction type stuff, um, if you're hearing from a defendant, if you're hearing, you're hearing both sides, that kind of thing, the true crime space, I think those voices really matter. And people, that, that brings people together because they're more invested in the story because they're more invested in, these are real people, these are real life situations. Um, and I think that that is something that podcasting just can really put on a platform for in a lot of good ways. Uh, so we've talked, you know, for a few minutes here about, you know, the idea that um, podcasts are important. But I also want to, you know, kind of focus in on the idea that the podcast can have an actual impact in our world. Um, so something I think that we'd all agree on is uh, the idea that the podcasts are a great platform for advocacy and this idea of advocacy. Uh, but first, I would love to hear from each of you on how you would define that, that concept of advocacy. There's a small part in my mind, and maybe this is a little more invisible, but where people, um, you know, are being educated, right? They're being educated by maybe a, or about a system they don't know much about, right? So the criminal justice system would be my example. If they're listening and they're learning something, um, that they may find themselves in a situation that they can, you know, use that little bit of information that they learn from listening to the podcast to educate themselves um, and, and learn the ways that, you know, the criminal justice system may be broken and things like that. I mean, that, that to me, it's, it's not a tangible sense of advocacy, but it's definitely there. Um, and that's something that I, I really strive for. I know uh, a lot of creators do. So um, that's kind of an intangible. I think they'll probably have more tangible ways. No, I agree. The, my, for me, bare minimum is awareness, the listening and the bringing awareness to a concept, uh, issue, a person, anything like that, depending on the space you're in. And then that next level for me is that like showing up in a different way. So how do you show up for your neighbor based on what you learn and your awareness? And then also, if it is a specific case, how are you showing up and doing something good? So I think for me, it's the bare minimum of like awareness, which is so impactful already. And then that next step of what are you going to do with your awareness? Yeah, they took all my answers. But I would say um, advocacy also gives a voice to marginalized groups. So. If there's a situation where we can tell a story that maybe someone doesn't have the opportunity to share in a podcast for whatever reason, we're able to do that. I think advocacy are, is actions, actions that promote that social inclusion, social justice, and equity. Uh, yeah, and Jamie, you know, my follow-up to you specifically is, uh, you know, your background as a forensic interviewer is very different from anybody else here on the panel. Um, but I'd love for you to talk about that background and how you've been able to adapt that into your role and responsibilities now in podcasting. Sure. So with a forensic interview, I'm speaking to a child in a room and I'm talking to them about a really awful thing that they have experienced or witnessed. So in what's similar in podcasting, especially with true crime, is I'm reaching out to victims' families who've experienced something really difficult. So what I do is when I went to training many years ago is we learn that the first step is building that rapport with whoever we're going to speak to. 
understanding how they communicate, letting them tell their story, and not interrupting listening, which is what you talked about. Then going back and clarifying other things that are important to the story. And then in the end, I always ask them, is there anything that I missed? Is there anything that you want me to know? And is there anything that someone else has gotten wrong? Because some stories have been told on 10 different podcasts, and I've learned that very big things have been you know, have gone wrong. For example, um, one woman said, my, my sister's story has been out for 50 years. Can someone say her name right? That is just seems like a small thing, but it's huge. And then I always end my interviews with our, um, the people we're interviewing by asking them, you know, are you in need of any resources in your area? That's a quick Google search. You don't have to have a social work background to make sure that person's okay when you're done interviewing them. So my follow-up question would be, what, what differences might there be between uh, that background and what you do now in podcasting? Oh, so the difference, there are lots of difference. I cannot speak at all on cases that I work on with law enforcement. Um, those are very, you know, confidential. No, they're just something that we discuss in our office. And then here I am moving into podcasting where we're telling the story to millions of people. Um, so that's a huge difference to me. And no matter... Um, whether I'm telling that story and it's only going to go to law enforcement in the court or it's going to go to a million people. I want to make sure that it's accurate and that um, we're, you know, telling the story with integrity. Yeah, it's interesting that, uh, that each of you have brought up this idea of, of listening, especially as we're talking about podcasts, which are obviously a, an audible first medium. Uh, but you're exactly right. I, mean, I do think that it is a, a bit of an art form that unfortunately we, we've lost in a lot of ways. Um, so Brittany, my, my question for you specifically uh, is you have the monumental task of overseeing, uh, you know, developing and creating new projects at AudioChuck, which is no small feat. Um, but what role does advocacy play as you are, you know, working with the team to develop new projects? It's my favorite question because it's at the heart of everything we do. Obviously, it's a question that can shift depending on the content we're creating. You know, I, while advocacy is always our mission as a company and everything needs to align with that on the highest level, you know, when we're developing something fiction, we may be asking ourselves different questions. But every case we select, every show we create, the question is what good is this going to do? And then who do we help? as we produce this type of content, right? So if we're gonna produce it, we then have a responsibility to go give back to those communities that we're speaking about. So everything that AudioCheck is has always been funneled through our adv advocacy and giving back to the communities that we are speaking about. So as each of you are taking on a new series, uh, a new season, you know, uh, because you do seasonal work, um, uh, you know, committing yourself to a new project, uh, what are some of the bigger picture issues or ideas that you try and think through as you're developing a new project? Uh, Jamie, you mind starting? Sure. So as a team at Tenderfoot, we do try to think through um, how is this story going to be impactful? Um, you think about who you need to speak to. So it's not just speaking to maybe the survivors or the victims' families, but do we want to bring in some you know, professionals to speak on these topics? Um, we look at um, what, what is this story going to look like when it's out there. That's really important to us. And we also like to have a timeline for things to come out, but one thing we are famous for at Tenderfoot is we start a project, and if we start digging deep and we need to give ourselves more time to make sure we're telling this story properly, we will do that. Um, we'll you know, push out that deadline if we have to so that the story is coming out and it's a strong story, it's reaching who we want to reach, and it's a good quality story. I think for me, um, I really seek, when I start out a, a case or an investigation, I look at 
Um, one, uh, is this person's story, has it just gone off the rails? What's the narrative that's been put out there, and is it really the true narrative? More than likely not. Um, but I also look at accountability. I, I want to hold the entities that are involved in investigating these crimes, prosecuting crimes, um, you know, the people that have been elected, the people that take position, positions of authority, I want to make sure that their people are held accountable, and and also people who maybe their stories have changed, things like that. So that's something that I really go into, and um, you know, really looking for again back at that narrative of what's really been out there and spinning out in space, and is that the real facts? Let's just go back to the facts. So um, you know, that may be in itself a form of advocacy. I don't, I, I don't know. It's hard to to put you know your hands on, but um, I think that's part of it for me. Yeah, it's a little bit of every single thing both of you said so beautifully of, since I do work on so much technical and so much creative, I, I do a lot of schedules. So my job is to create an ironclad schedule that allows for things to go off the rails, um, that it will change in a day, two weeks, whatever it may be. And then from the actual content side, it's who do we need to speak to? What resources are needed, not just for our team internally, but the people that we are speaking to? Um, and then what are we going to do in terms of our advocacy with this? And if it is you know, awareness, great. If there is a next level, who are we getting in touch with from a nonprofit standpoint, a community standpoint, and all of the outreach logistics that come along with that? So a, a lot of the work that we do is more narrative, so it's more long-form storytelling. Uh, but something that we did talk about, you know, as we were preparing for the panel, is uh, the idea that advocacy can play itself out really in every step of the process, from developing and creating to the edit and how you tell the story to the calls to action. So I'm curious for each of you to speak to that from your own perspective and the roles and responsibilities that you have day to day and what that looks like. I mean, for me, the people that, that I do work with, they have trusted me to have integrity. They have trusted me to seek the truth, to not have bias. Um, and they have given me the time of day to sit down with them in their living room or, you know, I'll fly to wherever. Like, so to me, I, I, valuing that time um, is just part of that process too. But even even down to, uh, back to what I said earlier, of getting the story right, you know, as, I, as I'm editing sound bites and, and looking at time codes and things, you know, you, as a journalist, you, you can't go and reorient those things just because they sound better at some point in the story, you have to let the person that's telling their story tell their story. Now, there is certain editing capabilities, things you can do to make it sound better and it, you know, be context or, you know, if they cough or something, you know, take that out of there. But I definitely think that that is, for me, it's throughout the entire process. And if that lacks or isn't there, that's a problem. Yeah, from a company standpoint, what I can say is that you know, having been in New York and having been in LA and now living in Indianapolis, people have asked me about like the fast pace or the buzz of big cities. And I was like, our office is buzzing all the time with energy. It feels like I'm in New York still because for a different reason, for me, the most important thing as I build my teams is the alignment of our mission. And so if we're all aligned on why we're telling these stories, the integrity will be there and we will all show up and do our best work every day because this stuff is hard. The content is obviously very difficult and then from a podcasting standpoint, I don't have to tell you all, it's freaking hard and the payoff isn't always, you know, easy. And so if we're all showing up every day with the mission of we are going to tell this story as ethically and responsibly as we can, and we all will truly do that at all costs, then I think in that day we can at least say we did everything we possibly could to do right by this case and to do good in the world. 
Yeah, and I love that you said that. I feel the same way about our team. Tenderfoot is a small but mighty team, and we all will show up. We will work late nights, whatever we have to do. If there isn't, like you said, an edit that needs to be made, um, that will happen, and it's throughout the whole process. I remember I was interviewing someone, and he had the best quote. I mean, it could have been a sound bite that we could have used over and over again, and then after he said it, he said, wait a minute, don't use that. And so that was in my brain, and it was in my notes, and then when we um, cut the episode, of course, it was right there in the beginning and it wasn't intentional it was just that by the time it got to that process they were like we have you know this is great and I just had to circle back and say hey, yeah that's great but we can't use that you know so it's remembering what we told the person that we're interviewing right that we're going to tell your story we're going to tell it with integrity if there's something that you want to leave out let us know if you want to restate something during this interview let me know um, and so to me, that's what that looks like. It looks like ensuring that we're doing our part to get the story right and to make sure that when it comes out, for me, it's really important that when our projects come out, even if someone didn't interview them, interview with us, I want them to hear the story and think we got it right, we didn't sensationalize, right? We told the facts. That's, to me, really important. Uh, so, you know, the common theme here is, you know, telling the story and telling it correctly and accurately. Um, so my question is, you know, when, when you do that and you're, you know, committed to doing that faithfully, what is usually the outcome uh, of, of a project or of a case or of a story? I think the listener, the audience recognizes it as quality work and, and they, they see it set apart from what else is out there. Um, and, but for me personally, it's, it's that text message that I get from the family or I get from the investigator or, or all, multiple people and they go, wow, I'm, I, I couldn't imagine it would be this and thank you so much, this meant so much or wow, we never would have thought this. To me, that's all I need. I don't care. I mean, I don't, shouldn't say I don't care, but I, the downloads, the analytics, everything. What matters to me is that the person that I sat on their living room couch with them is, is satisfied with the fair and balanced telling of a very, very complicated story um, and that I did all of the stuff that no one else would ever do for them. To me, that, that is just, it's invaluable. You can't put a price on it. Yeah, I love that because you, there's so much you can't control in this space, right? You can't control listenership. You can't control downloads to a certain extent. But what you can control is telling the story and doing right by the people that you've made a promise to and your responsibility. So 100% agree. And I think I have like two examples on the Crime Junkie world and the deck world, which are two different beasts. Um, but with Crime Junkie, what we've managed to do is create a listener base that is active, that wants to really not just hear these stories, but they want to hear them. They want to go tell their friends about it, their communities about it. Then they want to get all their friends to sign the petition. And then they want to go sign letters for the DA to get them you know, to press charges for this one case. Um, and they are incredible in that way. And the deck it also has been that way. And an example would be for a case out in Oklahoma they know who did it, they have the suspect, and they just won't press charges. And so the investigator just worked with us, just being like, I don't know, I'm retired, like I want this case to get visibility, and we'll see what happens. And we get this email from him that's like, I didn't know about this, but I believe in the power of the podcast, because I've had all these representatives now from the DA's office showing up in my office getting binders and binders of case files. And it's because our listener base wrote letters. It's because they told their friends about the episodes. And that activation of your listenership, you tell a story, I think, really well and really right, and they can tell, and they want to go do something about it. 
Yeah, and similar with um, Tenderfoot TV shows is that we have, there have been people in small towns whose story never got to be told, and then the story comes out, and all of these people are, are like, this is happening in my town. But then it's not just happening in that town. Then it's that state, and then it's the United States, and everybody wants something done. Everyone wants to make sure that this is this wrong, you know, that this whatever wrong happened, that there's something that can be done. And so, again, you activate people to do something. You also... Um, give other people an opportunity to hear someone's story and think about how that might impact them and what they can do differently if they were in that situation. And I think that we've all done and worked on shows that have led to different positive change in you know local communities or even broader. Yeah, I think a lot of people would attribute, you know, especially with true crime, uh, that you know when you advocate, when you tell a story the right way, that means it's going to be a solved case. It's going to be, you know, some big explosive thing happens. But you know, what I love hearing from each of you is that at the end of the day, that's not ultimately the most important thing. Though that would be valuable and that would be amazing. You know, the the thing at the end of the day that is of most value is telling the story fair and balanced and in the correct way. Um, so I'm curious uh, to hear from each of you on this. Uh, the world, I think, feels in many ways more divided today than it ever has for a number of reasons. Um, but, but how can podcasts uh, be used to connect people, uh, you know, rally us around something bigger despite, you know, some of the differences that we may have? I think, again, it kind of goes back to that collective mind, right? They under, everyone's like, I mean, there's a lot of things that we can't agree on, but if you give them the facts and the information, you let them hear the voices, at some point, everyone's going to go, well, that's not adding up, and that's not right. So we can agree that something needs to be addressed. How it's going to be addressed is, is maybe, you know, another argument. But I, I think it's part of that kind of collectiveness where people realize, like, oh, my gosh, because we all heard this, like we can all agree this needs this is a problem right so it to me that's that's where i've seen it um kind of play out yeah and i think in the podcasting space there has a lot of success in these stories has been the fact people just relate to hearing the voices i think in such a deep way where they're like that voice could be my mom that voice could be my sister my brother whoever and whatever bias that may exist when you see someone on a television or when you see those things, I think there is a layer of that that's stripped away. And if you're telling the facts and you're telling the story right, you can figure out two plus two is not equaling five here. Like, it's, it's something's off here. Um, and so I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think that there is a, a right and a wrong and that ultimately... I think in a lot of ways right now, podcasting is succeeding by really laying out those facts and people not having the bias that they have may have had in past. Yeah, I agree. We're, we're listening to people that look like us, that don't look like us, and we're all able to say, you know, this story is still important. If it's someone that's different than us, then we're able to say, how can I help reduce a barrier for that person maybe? Or maybe just have empathy if I see someone going through this struggle. And when you look at podcasting, that is a big difference, just that we're not seeing people, we don't know everything about that person, because even with the podcast, they're sharing a little bit of their background, but once you get into the story, you're just right there with them, and it connects people. I think a perfect example is, you know, during COVID, Podcast listening actually did not go down as much as people anticipated it going down. The thought was, oh, well, people are listening when they're driving to work or when they're working, but it, it only dipped a little bit because what happened is people were already connected. Um, I recently was invited to a little downtown thing with a friend for her birthday, and it was a true crime thing. 
I was shocked. I mean, I work in true crime podcasting. I did not tell anyone there that. I mean, people had on matching crime junkie t-shirts and all of these things. And you just realize it's created this connectedness in people that want to be part of this, this group and they want to do something and they want to, you know, be part of positive change. So that's how I see it working. Uh, so I know we're kind of winding down on our time here. Uh, so as we're landing the plane, just a, a last couple questions, and then we do want to leave a few minutes here at the end for uh, for some audience Q and A. Uh, but now I, I want to focus a little bit more specifically on the idea of actually making a difference. Um, and so, you know, my first question here is: uh, obviously, the teams represented here have seen a lot of um, impact uh, and uh, been very successful in the podcasting space. So would you identify that there is some kind of a, a secret formula for success uh, as far as how you reach an audience, uh, how you have an impact, how you affect some kind of a change? I don't know if it's necessarily like a secret I sauce. I wish. Um, it comes, I think it's a lot of, uh, you know, try and fail, try and fail, and then you learn along the way. Um, for me, I go back to being a creator, being a storyteller, as a journalist, doing things the right way and, and truly treating the people that I'm working with how I would want to be treated throughout the process. Um, it just, you know, you, people say you put good, put out, put out good, get good back, that kind of thing. Um, I just genuinely feel like that, that every part of, of my process has to be that way. Um, and I think that's, that is what makes the, the, the product so good and it makes people want to listen. Um, so that for me as a creator is just like number one. Yeah, we were just talking a little bit about this before the panel of, I wish I could say every podcast episode would solve every single case. And that is, it, that would be a dream, right? For so many of us and for obviously the people directly affected by the case. But I think that I do agree that people know when something's right. And I, I sometimes that takes time. Sometimes we have to see a lot of kind of grossness in the process. Maybe they're trying to figure it out. But I do think that when people hear something that is good, they will latch onto it and they will stick with you for the ride as you continue going down it. And then in turn, they're going to be willing to sink their teeth into it and do something and then have it be a part of their life. So I, I have to go back to exactly what you just said of getting the story right, doing good, and telling, telling the story, this is not about us, this is about these cases, or this is about the story, we are the vessel that, you know, which is very woo-woo or very whatever, but we're the vessel the story is going through, and we have a responsibility that comes along with that. Yeah, there's definitely not a secret sauce. Like you said, that would be great. I do think having the passion to do the work, um, not having in your mind how the story is going to play out is so important to me. I think that you go into it very open-minded because once you're going down that trail of looking into a story, you have to be willing to shift if that story shifts and tell that story exactly as it comes, not how you've crafted it in your mind um, or what you thought it was. And it's not always intentional, right? I'm working on a story right now, 50 years old. I've Googled a million articles. And once I started digging into it, I was like, oh, so I've got to update the team that this is not exactly what we thought it was, and we're going to have to tell this part of the story as well. Um, and then when it, your podcast comes out, being proud of that project that you've done your best and that you've told their stories and you've used their voices correctly. So the, the three teams represented here, uh, you know, we're all committed, as we've been talking about, to, to telling stories well, telling them accurately, uh, and also you know, being committed to, to doing more than just 
telling interesting stories and creating good podcasts, uh, you know, we're looking for something, you know, deeper as we've been uh, kind of driving home. But I would like to, you know, connect the dots here a little bit and hear more specifically about, you know, what that has looked like, the, the deeper and the bigger impact that some of the projects that we've worked on, uh, ha, you know, have affected. And so Delia, specifically for you, I'd love for you to talk about Season of Justice and we'll, we'll start there. Yeah, so Season of Justice is a nonprofit um, that was uh, founded by Ashley Flowers, the CEO of AudioChuck. Um, I sit on the board of it, and it funds uh, DNA testing to law enforcement agencies that have cold cases. So um, it is a really phenomenal organization. It's basically like a grant type organization. And, um, you know, there's already been two cases solved, uh, Season of Justice. Uh, we have a variety of people on the board. Sarah Turney, those that listen to her podcast, she's on there. We have um, a lawyer. We have a, a retired homicide detective. We have, I mean, there's people from all walks. There's me, a journalist, probably the least of, <laughs> the least of these kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an amazing organization. And just the, the impact that it's having in the space to fund cases that desperately, desperately need to have testing on evidence done, but law enforcement agencies, for whatever reason, um, cannot come up with the funding on their own. Season of Justice will grant that funding and pay a lab directly. And, um, you know, it's just, I think it's amazing, and I'm so happy to be a part of it. And that is such a tangible way um, to help, uh, you know, monetarily, and, and I just think it's great. Yeah, and kind of from the audio check side of it, the question being, I wish every podcast episode could solve a case. You know, I think a company, obviously, it starts at the top, and we're very fortunate to be led by someone like Ashley, who is committed to this mission. And when the question became, how are we actually going to solve these cases? The, what are we going to do about these cold cases? The success of audio check, the success of our shows allowed for this opportunity to create direct impact that we're seeing many more cases down the pipeline that Season of Justice will be able to say that they funded and that that case is finally closed. And while closure is a myth, justice is not. And I think that that is, that is a beautiful, tangible thing that AudioChuck is very fortunate to be a part of. Uh, well, so Jamie, I'll, I'll set you up here a little bit. Uh, so, you know, we, we talked specifically about, obviously, a number of the projects from the Tenderfoot side, uh, but I'd love for you to speak a little bit more about, you know, Up and Vanished, um, you know, the Monster series, Gaining Ground, MLK Tapes, which you, you know, directly worked on. Uh, but what were some of the results of those projects specifically? Sure. So Up and Vanished led to two arrests and two trials. And while law enforcement says it didn't directly impact movement in the case, Payne Lindsay was subpoenaed to testify, so we begged to differ. He didn't have to testify, but that's an example. Um, our Monster series, Atlanta Monster, led to DNA testing being retested, or new DNA testing in an old cold, multiple old cold cases um, with um, gaining ground. A lot of people don't know, but we actually produced a podcast um, during the election. And it was a historical time in Georgia. We don't know if we directly or indirectly impacted the election, but I mean, record turnouts in Georgia. We were actually recording when the insurrection happened with our host. I mean, that is a powerful moment. And then with the MLK tapes, I remember when we were pitched that project and I thought, I wonder if people are gonna listen. Well, MLK tapes won a Webby. It's not about the awards at all, but it really just, um, kind of put, it's, it just, for me, made me realize that people do want to hear stories without a filter. We were able to have tapes of people who were actually there and who witnessed it. And now the um, museum in Memphis said that they are going to change their position as neutral on the assassination of Dr. King, and they are going to um, revamp that section to actually 
reflect what the podcast was able to show. So, I mean, I think that's huge. You know, it's just, again, being able to tell those stories that aren't normally told or that there's a barrier to the, the, the truth being told. And then, of course, culpable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So culpable, I mean, the, the interesting there, the thing there is, uh, you know, this family was dealing with the tragedy of losing, the, you know, their loved one, their son, um, you know, their brother. Uh, and, and amidst, you know, all of that, uh, you know, the autopsy photos were shared publicly. Uh, and so the direct result was Christian's law was actually passed, uh, which helped to, uh, you know, change uh, and put, you know, more... Uh, uh, more restrictions in place as far as how autopsy photos can be publicly shared without the family's consent. Uh, so obviously a very uh, tangible thing there as well. Um, <clears throat> so I know we've only got a few minutes left, uh, so I would like to open it up to the audience for, uh, for any questions that we might have. Uh, do we have, yeah, we have a mic, perfect. Thanks so much for doing this. This is like really interesting. Um, I'm curious, how do you pick your cases? Is there usually a personal connection or is there some organic discovery? Um, for counterclock, um, I usually pick cases that uh, they kind of come to me in weird roundabout ways, but I usually, uh, I'm looking for what can I do to uncover something new. Again, I go back to that, what's the original narrative? Um, how can I use my skills of digging, of knowing how to navigate the record system, knowing how to interview people? Um, how can I use that to advance that case? So that's really my approach. Yeah, for, from a weekly show perspective, obviously we're able to cover a lot of ground or cover a lot of cases. Um, so always the question is, what good can we do for this case, especially when they're unsolved? And then the second would be, we also need a certain amount of investigative information in order to do a complete narrative. So it funnels through a little bit of that technical and obviously the impact and the advocacy with it. And for Tinderfoot, it, we have a lot of emails that come in about cases, but we also partner oftentimes. We partnered on the Culpable Project. And so it is, it's kind of what is the story? Do we have information? Are there people that want to speak to us about this? And how will this story impact people? Thank you guys again for being here. Uh, I produce a podcast that interviews veterans and first responders. Uh, what are some techniques that you guys do to make your interviewees comfortable with the subject matter that they're sharing? Just particular things that you guys do. Thank you. Make sure they're in an environment where they're comfortable. Um, law enforcement is comfortable in law enforcement headquarters. You're not going to get them out of the police station more than likely. Um, uh, families where, where, where they had their memories with their loved ones. That's super important because they may remember something in the interview because they're looking at a photograph or an old keepsake or something like that. So I think comfortability is probably the big thing for me. Yeah, I think the more confident you are with obviously when it comes to your setup, your space, all of that, the more comfort they're going to feel that they don't have to do anything other than be there and do the heavy, hard, emotional lift that they have to do. I think on the other side, talking to them about their lives, being a human with them goes a long freaking way as well. Um, and they most certainly, I feel like, feel that connection before you sit down and go tell me about this worst day of your life or the most difficult thing you've ever encountered. Yes, that rapport building is so important. Just what do they need to feel comfortable in this moment to talk to you? Can we come into your home? Do you want us to send a tape sinker? Especially during COVID, it was all about someone's comfort level when we were traveling to interview people. So I think that's the most important thing. And I always ask, is there anything that you do, is off limits during this interview? And is there anything that you want to say that you haven't had the opportunity to share before? 
Yeah, I think a good rule of thumb is making it feel more like a, a conversation or an interview versus like an interrogation. Uh, you know, I think a lot of times people feel very on the spot. So I think trying to build the rapport uh, and just help people feel as comfortable as possible. So um, unfortunately, we have eight seconds left, uh, which is not enough time for another question. Uh, Yes, please feel free to come see us afterwards. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, can I just get a round of applause for the panelists, though? Thank you, everybody. Enjoy, uh, enjoy the conference.